Welcome to Sorry Not Sorry, where we unapologetically talk about Christianity and culture from a Pentecostal perspective. In response to a question submitted by one of our listeners, today we explore the topic of pacifism, which is the belief that any violence is unjustifiable and that all disputes should be settled by peaceful means. Here are your hosts, Dr. Jerry Ireland and Dom Garcia. Welcome to another edition of Sorry Not Sorry. Today we're talking about pacifism. Good to see you, Dom. Jerry, it's always a pleasure, my friend. How you doing? Good, man. Doing all right. I'm uh, excited about the Christmas break, and uh, you know, it's it's a Christmas like no other, sort of. Mm, but man. it is what it is. It is what it is. Still, still, uh, uh, you know, the 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 Lord coming. The incarnation is still That's a reason right. to celebrate in spite right. of all the things that are happening. Maybe yeah. even more so to be reminded of their, the hope in Christ. Absolutely. But it's going to be unique. As, you're absolutely right about that. Yeah. So, so today we're talking about uh, a topic that was su- suggested actually by one of our listeners. And I'm kind of excited about it because, number one, it shows that at least one person is actually listening to this podcast. And, which is a win. And, which is a win. <laughs> and, and two... Uh, it is a, a relevant topic to Pentecostalism, uh, and so we're going to talk about pacifism today and what that means and, and a little bit about the history of it within Pentecostalism and, uh, and, and sort of how we, should, how we should think about peacemaking uh, and pacifism in the, in the church today. Are they mandates for the whole church? Is it, you know, is, it, is there a biblical case for pacifism? Is, is it the only option? And, and so... Um, so we're going to kind of look at those things, and I it's uh, I think the the Christmas story is a great place to start uh, when we talk about this because you know in Luke chapter two the angels uh, who announced Jesus's birth to the shepherds uh, say glory to God in the highest and peace among men with whom He is pleased, uh, and so peace was was part of the the birth narrative and and the announcement about who Jesus was going to be and the kind of kingdom that he was ushering in. And as you look at our Pentecostal history, we're going to, uh, uh, we're going to interview Jay Beeman, uh, here on this episode. And who is a, he's a, a scholar who's done quite a bit of research on pacifism, uh, within Pentecostal traditions and Pentecostal holiness traditions. Uh, and we're going to, he, he's going to, uh, share with us some of his thoughts and some of what he's some of the conclusions he's come to about pacifism uh, from from he is now a Mennonite uh, and so from some from that that perspective uh, but um, uh, it's a it's an interesting topic and it's uh, it, I've I have found that it can also be a very controversial topic well, I think in America especially oh, yeah. uh, I, I'm sure around the world but I had heard that early on within Pentecostalism, there was this kind of groundswell of pacifism. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then as I'm assuming time goes on, and we've talked about this before, we kind of align ourselves to the evangelical movement and, and things kind of change in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. And a lot of that of that original kind of heritage changed somewhat. And, I'm a, and I'd love to hear, and probably we could even unpack where the change happened. So I think for our, our audience, thinking in terms of what it means to be Pentecostal, but I think just even in terms of being a Christian, right? Like mm-hmm. overall, Absolutely. the idea of pacifism versus just war is a conversation that needs to be had. And for many of our listeners, I'm assuming they come out of a Judeo-Christian background. They might even adhere to a certain um, political group. You know, let's, let's just be specific, the religious right, right? A lot of times, many of, I mean, you served 
I have family that served. Mm-hmm. I lived right outside of Norfolk, Virginia for about four yeah. years when I went to yeah. Regent. Um, yeah. So many people we know and love have served in our in our armed forces and we are so grateful for their service and thus becomes attention, right? What, what does yeah. this mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to embrace pacifism? What does it mean to support the troops? What does it mean to support just war? How do we define these things within our current context? How do we look at it historically as well? So this is a big topic, Jerry. It, it is, and it's, it, I, I think, to me, the interesting thing about it is is that for most, I, I think for the average Christian, when when they talk about peace in the context of Christianity, uh, they they sort of internalize it. You know, it sort of becomes this this peace with God uh, that we experience as a result of our salvation, which is absolutely true and biblical. Um, but I think. Uh, whether you're a pacifist or not, if you reduce all of the Bible's teaching to that, uh, then you miss you miss a, a whole lot of what the Bible says. I mean, just even I mean the what Jesus says in the in the Sermon on the Mount in the, the Beatitudes is not blessed are those who are at peace with God, but blessed are the peacemakers, <laughs> those who make peace. Right. Uh, and that that to me implies something much more than just uh, sort of an internal subjective uh, uh, feeling of, of being at one with God. But again, just for the sake of the argument, those people who, you know, took out the Nazis and liberated Paris, they were peacemakers. Right. This I mean, is, so uh, what, is, what does it mean to be a peacemaker? So the idea of I'm a pacifist, right? You yeah. think of Dr. King, yep. you, you think of... Um, um, obviously, we, we're talking about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Obviously, it's kind of changed there for him and there at, at the end. Yep, but there have yep. been many, many people who I think have been peacemakers. Um, what was it? Is it Thoreau? I think Thoreau's work in civil disobedience, and then that obviously Dr. King and some others. So there's, yeah. there's a long history of this, uh, I think. John Howard Yoder, Tolstoy. Uh, absolutely. Uh, exactly. Tolstoy, absolutely. Pacifist. Right. So, um, and then these, some, de- yeah, some denominations like the Anabaptists, Quakers. And then, exactly. And, and the interesting thing about Quakers, though, is you got like abolitionists who are like, is it John Brown? Who was like the madman yeah. who's like going yeah, to like yeah, killing yeah. people to end slavery? Yeah. So there's a tension here where it's like, well, what do you mean by bringing peace? That's true. And, right? and, and I mean, this is really, I think, the crux of the, the issue. And this is why a biblical case for pacifism has been um, such a complicated issue, because you do have passages like, like Romans 13, which talk about governments bearing the sword for, uh, you know, as part of their God-ordained responsibility to execute justice uh, or to carry out justice. Maybe execute is not the best word. We understand the context, yes. Yeah, so so it is complex. And in fact, uh, you know, I, I just kind of got, kind of pulled together some, some of the, the key verses uh, and, and it might, maybe it'll be helpful to just kind of go through these really briefly, um, because it'll, it'll set this whole conversation, at least within a, the, the context of a few key passages of scripture that talk about this. So Matthew uh, 5, 38, 42, again, this is obviously the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Jesus says, you have heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So here's the lex talionis, the, you know, this Old Testament law of retribution. But I say to you, so he, so he's a new lawgiver. Uh, do not resist resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn to him the other also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you. Do not turn him away. Um, 
from him who wants to borrow from you. And then Paul says something remarkably similar in Romans 12. He says, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men, if possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. It's an interesting caveat in that passage right there. As far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Mm. Um, You could write a book about that caveat. Never take your own revenge, uh, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Uh, and that itself is another interesting aspect. It's like it's almost like he's saying, you know, don't do it because it's good in and of itself. Right. The Lord's gonna boom smite him. That, that's right. Do right? it because it makes room for the wrath of God. Yeah, exactly. Um, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Like he's coming. Right. Get out of the way. That's right. So that's heavy. Yeah. So those are some some interesting passages, you know. And and it, um, you know, when you when you look at the end of of Jesus's ministry. Uh, you know, you see him, uh, you know, telling, you know, his disciples, um, you know, uh, um, looking for the passage here. Uh, he, he says, um, um, he tells uh, in Luke, yeah, Luke twenty two thirty six. 36, he, he tells them that those who don't have a sword should sell their coats and buy right. one, yes. you know. It's always um, so bizarre to me. Yeah. And he gets uh, upset. Yeah, that's right. So then he says, and later on in that same chapter, uh, they come to him, they found two swords. So two swords for 12 people. And Jesus's response is enough. It's wild. <laughs> like, what's wrong with you? Like, and, and so I, I think Leon Morris's take on this, and I, I kind of agree with this, is that Jesus is not saying, okay, two, two swords will do. That's, that'll be sufficient. What he's right. saying is enough with you, with your failure to understand when I'm using metaphorical language and when I'm not, you know, like he's just fed up with their, their, their dullness, so to speak. Um, and, and it, so, and I, I think there's some, some credibility to that interpretation because later on when, uh, you know, when Peter t- takes his sword and, and uses it against Jesus's accusers, Jesus says, put your sword back into its place because those who live by the sword will die by the sword. Right. Um, so and Luke, he puts the ear back, right? That's right. Yeah. yeah. So, so the doctor make, gives that detail, right? I don't think anybody else does. So you have, that you, that's right. So you have this whole melange of passages of scriptures that, that aren't crystal clear on exactly what, you know, what Jesus's view of, of the use of force was. It's, and then a lot of people will bring up the Jesus overturning the, the tables in the, uh, in the temple. Pretty and, good. You know, and Flip so, the tables. I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword to separate father and son. I mean, it's not literal, but there's, <laughs> there's some force there. He returns with fire in his eyes in Revelation. I mean, you know, he, he, right. he brings yep. the children to him, but the, the, the cosmic Christ in Revelation, right? The, the eternal right. word in John, but the cosmic Christ in, in Revelation is 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 still the kind seeking suffering prince of peace but the peace he brings there's yeah. blood up to the bridle that's right that's like right. the way he gets to peace is a war yeah yeah and i'm not saying i support war i'm just saying yeah. this is a tension i think the passive is, is. That, is that fully feels like oh it's so clear it's just peace it's yeah. it's really problematic and the other people who are like well let's let's put crosses on swords and go the crusades they got a real problem too 
Right? Right. I think that yeah. the nationalism of we're going to just put Jesus on things and that's going to ver- that's going to validate whatever you know occu- you know we're going to occupy this territory or we're going to invade this territory very problematic. That's yeah. why just war is I think that uh, and I haven't done a lot of reading, but the Augustinian idea of just war. Uh, right. I think Bonhoeffer yeah. kind of continues. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's something I've been thinking about because you and I have been talking about this for a little while was, does it glorify the Lord or does it grieve the Lord? Right. The, the like, whole concept of the just whole, war. Is, that's it. Like yeah. the whatever the action that's going to be taken, does it glorify yeah. him or does it grieve him? Yeah. And, and it's hard. Yeah. I mean, it's hard. Like who am I to say what does and doesn't? But yeah. I, I just I think what I hope is that individuals make this choice. I think what's really interesting and scary sometimes is when nations. Yeah, make the choice. The difference of an individual in Christ saying, "I'm going to make a choice," versus a nation kind of taking on this identity and saying, Mm -hmm. "We're going to war for Christ." Uh, Other than the nation of Israel within the Old Testament context, I don't know of any other nation that has had that kind of mantle. Mm -hmm. I could be wrong. To Mm -hmm. war in in the name of God, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, is that pretty much it? Uh, Yeah, I think so. You know, and and I think, yeah, I I, I think you know it's. one of the the difficulties in all of this and in any any approach to trying to derive ethical principles from scripture is that that the bible doesn't tell us how to deal with every single situation you know so so you you can take everything that jesus says about peace and peacemaking and then apply that to to say okay well so this so martin luther king for example took this and applied it to his you know his his the, the civil rights movement, uh, and and it was very very effective, um, but at the same time, you know, I think if you if you take that and you say, okay, so does this the all of these passages about um, turning the other cheek and and going the extra mile and so on, does that mean that if somebody breaks into my home and I'm there with my family, mm-hmm. that I'm supposed to sit by passively and not resist and not try to defend myself and not try to defend my family? Um, you know, I, I think you get into some really muddy ground there because you're, you're, the Bible gives us very broad principles, right. not not specific incident specific applications. In, in that specific instance, let's take that kind of yeah. stand your ground kind of idea, yeah. right? The idea that someone, you know, somebody breaks and breaking and entering, they come in, there's some sort of altercation. Do you have a right to stand your ground? Okay, we're not talking politically mm-hmm. or illegally. We're saying as a Christian. First century Christians, I believe it's not mythological. Like we actually pretty much know they were like thrown to the lions, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like this is actually that's, historically, yeah, that's right. right? Absolutely. And it doesn't seem like there was, there's no Maccabean resistance. <laughs> there's no Maccabean yeah. revolt, right? <laughs> the, the early Christians aren't, which is awesome. The Maccabees are like, great, right? <laughs> like you're going to alter the, we're going to, you know, you're killing the pig at the altar. We're taking, you know, like it's awesome, right? That intertestimental piece, which is yeah, the yeah. Apocrypha. It's okay to read it. Um, but, uh, you that's know, right. <laughs> right? you're like, what is that? No, uh, book of wisdom. It's okay. You can read <laughs> these, right. you know, but, um, but the, but it's it's just interesting how that that early church didn't do it, and I do think it, it, they they set a precedent, right? I mean, in a lot yeah. of ways, they're in an occupied territory; they're being tortured by Nero, yeah. they're being slaughtered, yeah. and they're not revolting. I, I there there is something to that, right? And there when is. you look at yeah, Acts, absolutely. So I'm not saying it's simply like, oh, hey, let's you know take Bonhoeffer trying to kill Hitler is a no brainer. Uh, I mean, it kind of feels like a no-brainer, to be honest with you. But, <laughs> but it's like really that guy. But everything else, there's such nuance to it. And I do feel like whether there's whether or not it's biblical what the first century church or first, second, third century church was doing, I do think that in a, in a sense they were 
that apostolic succession and they were understanding what was happening in that first century church and they were trying to live it out continually. Yeah. And it did seem like there was a lot of pacifism there. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And I, I think, you know, I, I've looked at a couple of commentaries on this Matthew 5 passage and, and most commentaries have said that it's interesting that the issue at hand that Jesus is mainly addressing when he, when he says, you know, when somebody slaps you on the right cheek, turn the left, that, that the issue for most commentators is not violence per se, but honor and shame that, 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 which is, which actually makes this extremely relevant because it very much ties into this whole, my rights, uh, idea, which, um, uh, I don't think we need to unpack (laughs) how relevant that is right now. Yeah. yeah, But, but so the idea was that if somebody slapped you in the face, it, it wasn't, so much about bringing physical harm as it was about insulting you. Um, Interesting. And so the so, idea was not to return insult for insult, you know, um, but to just sort of let people insult you and just go on about your life and and forget about it because it, because that's not who you are anymore. You're you're now that you're a kingdom person, you're a disciple of Christ the King. Um, you live in such a way that that. Um, that you've laid down your life, you've taken up your cross to follow him. And so your life is hidden in his. And, and then it's, this is exactly what Jesus models in his own trial, where he is slapped and humiliated and called all kinds of names. uh, And he, he answers, he he doesn't answer at all. He he just stands there and and takes it. Um, And, and so I, I think, I think in that light, um, you know, if if the church lived like that, you know, um, I, I think it would make an incredible difference to the way that the church was perceived in society. If if we we're going somewhere, Jerry, I don't know if I, I'm ready. I wasn't ready for that. Okay, where you're going here? But it's it's where the text goes. I, I mean, I, I, I I'm with you, but I mean, you're right. I think that oftentimes we feel offended. We feel there's a war on us. We we feel like we're victimized. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. so we have to fight. Not not in a sense to say that whether we do or don't have a right to worship, proclaim, uh, evangelize. That's what we're talking about. We're saying like our culture, our subculture yeah, is right. under attack. Yeah. And so we feel like we need to respond. Yeah, That's interesting. Like, no, 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 don't worry. Like they attack Jesus, they're going to attack you. That's not what's important. Go proclaim truth. Go, you know, love your neighbor. Go love you your neighbor, right? Which is sometimes right. really hard, right? Um, so let me ask this just real Stop quick. Stop defending your rights. Start and, loving your and, neighbor. And love people <laughs> and understand and be gracious you know? and know how much the Lord yeah. has forgiven you of everything and how much you not need yeah. to forgive others. So if you think of it in terms of an individual, right? If, if Let's say I'm you know, 35 years old and someone comes to, to attack me or there's some sort of altercation and I say, I'm going to take a pacifistic stance. I'm going to step back and allow this to happen because I this might be a sign act. This might be a sign, a witness. They know I'm a Christian. And by losing my life, it, it in a sense, proclaims Christ. Right. In a mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. But if it's my wife and children or my parents or my family, right, you're worse than an infidel. It says in the scripture, you don't take care of your own. It is, is there, could there, can there be a tension there where it's like, if mm-hmm. you as an individual are saying it, like, can I make a choice for my children? I mean, my children are four and one. Well, make I a think choice that they're going to be pacifists. Yeah. They, they, I mean, they're I, good to make that choice. I, I think what's, it's a great point. And I think what's interesting is that even the apostle Paul doesn't just take the punishment that he's given all the time. There are times when, you know, he's about to be beaten and he says, Oh, by the way, you do know I'm a Roman citizen. You know, so, so he, he takes steps to defend himself at times, you know, even if they're nonviolent steps. Right. Um, 
Well, that's going to be interesting, right? Because so much of the nonviolent movement of Dr. King, I think, which is amazing, is it wasn't that it wasn't, it was still resistance. That's it was right. nonviolent resistance. That's it wasn't right. just nonviolence. We're going to sit and hope nothing changes. That's no, right. no, no, no. We're going to do sit-ins. We're going to do the bus boycott. We're going to, we're going to be strategic. It was brilliant. Yeah. We think yeah. of the actual, the, the, the community organizing and the strategic planning of that 1960s movement was brilliant. And it would, would have been interesting as if he hadn't been assassinated, he really was moving towards an anti-Vietnam stance, some mm -hmm. people say. And it would he have been would, interesting. Oh, he absolutely was. I and think. it would have been yeah. interesting to see where yeah. that would have taken him as well. But uh, okay, that that's a that's an interesting point. Um, I, I just so let me here's the next one, because you served. And I wanted to ask you this, and I know mm -hmm. we don't have a ton of time because mm -hmm. we I want to get to the interview because it's some mm -hmm. really amazing stuff. Um, mm -hmm. I love the stuff on Max Weber. That was interesting. But um Here's here's my question for you. You served. Can men and women serve in our armed forces and still honor the Lord? Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. I mean, I, I think it's it's interesting that, you know, in the New Testament, you come across a number of, of individuals who are serving in the military. And you, you see it in Matthew chapter 8, uh, Mark 15, Luke 3, Luke 7, Acts 10, uh, Cornelius. So you encounter all of these people in the New Testament who are in the military, um, and there's there's never um, any negative. There, there's never any right. explicit call for them to leave the, the military. And you would think that if anywhere that that would be the case, it would have been Acts ten in Cornelius, mm. uh, you know, and and maybe it happened, but but you would think that that would be significant enough to be included put, in that. That's in, good in the, the biblical record, but. And, and hopefully, and I think for both sides, whether you believe in just war or pacifism, I think we should, I think most of us always hopefully support the troops, right? Like at the end of the day, Absolutely. I yeah. think as believers, yeah. we need to support the troops, be grateful for their service, our first responders, like these individuals constantly putting themselves in harm's way, and we need to be grateful to the Lord for their service. Whether you support a war is different. Right? That's right. And that's I think right. that's a tension yeah. as well. Like you could say, okay, I look at World War II, and I see it just where I look at World War One, and I'm going, what in the world? Why did what was happening? You look at Vietnam, yeah. you look at Iraq, yeah. there could be some tension there. There should be some conversation. Yeah. But I think no matter who, what any of those wars, those who served were grateful for their service. That might be very American of me. Sorry. But I, I just I think it's OK. I mean, I I, I am very yeah. I'm pretty. Sometimes I step back and realize, oh, my goodness, I am. I'm a little bit of an ideologue for America sometimes. Like I just, I yeah. still feel the sense of pride and gratefulness for this country, even though I don't agree with every step. Yeah. Um, but I, I try to live in that tension, Jerry. I'm like, I love America. Rah, rah, rah. Yeah, but yeah. I also want to honor the Lord and his kingdom is, is yeah. most important. How do yeah. I, how do I do that? How can I support? Yeah. It's, <sighs> it's a great question. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I think to me, I, I mean, when, when you look at, at, what Jesus and Paul teach in terms of, 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 um, uh, you know, in terms of, of peacemaking and, and living at peace with those around us. Um, you know, I, I think I'm not a pacifist because I just, I will, I just don't see it in scripture. I don't see it clearly articulated. Um, some people do, and, and they've made, you know, good cases for that, but I, I just don't see it. And to me, the, the biblical pattern is violence should be our absolute last resort. It should be far away from us. It should be out of reach for most of us almost all of the time. Um, and yet there 
are times maybe when when we need to defend ourselves or our family or our nation uh, that that becomes the only viable option. Um, and <clears throat> but it should be the last option, you know. Um, and I and I think if we were to focus on on loving the people around us, loving people that are different from us, and doing a whole lot less of of defending our rights, you know, as and like you said, rights that, uh, you know, about you know things like, uh, well, let's just go there, wearing masks and, and sure. or to not wear a mask and, sure. and so on, or get oh, absolutely, or 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 the ability <clears throat> to attend a service or being socially distant or the vaccine, uh, all the the the. Yeah, man, we got to like go after all that. All of those rights should mm. take a backseat to our love and compassion for other people. And, That's. But here's the thing. I, I got to give some credit to some of our churches. And I'm not going to say names because I don't want to call people out, but I'm proud of some churches. I know a lot of our churches, they have been needing. And where we live, our governor asked that they 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 kind of go online for three yep. weeks. Yep. And quite a few of the churches I know said respectfully they would step back. They yep. don't, I think, agree with yep. the request. That's they're right. saying we're going to give honor, kind of a Romans 13. Yeah. Now, oh, after those three weeks, let's have a conversation. But in a sense, that was a really, I'm going to love you in this moment. Yeah. I'm not going to agree with you, but That's I'm going right. to love you. We're still going to worship. We're still going to meet. We're still going to have those times. And I was really proud of our churches. A lot of times I'm, I'm pretty, yeah. I'm a cynic, but I, I was yeah. like, wow, I think yeah. that's a great because sign. Because that, that was a costly thing to do for those of churches. Of course it was. I mean, it, I, here it is, Christmas, Christmas time. It was a major sacrifice. And yes. I think that's the essence of peacemaking in the New Absolutely. Testament. It's a sacrificial act to put others ahead of yourself. Exactly. And and I think when you do that, I think God honors those actions, you know. And for a season. I'm not saying do it forever. And for right? a season. <laughs> I get to a point. Absolutely. But to step right. in in yeah. that moment, it's uh, – yeah. No, this is this yeah. is great, Jerry. We're, we're just scratching the surface. I'm I'm excited yeah, to have well, the audience hear the interview. I yeah, think so let's uh, let's turn to the interview and uh, and take a listen at at what um, uh, what our friend has to say. Uh, in this episode of Sorry Not Sorry, uh, our guest is Jay Beeman, and so we're going to kind of dive right into some questions here for Jay. Um, and um, uh, this this topic was one that was sent in by one of our listeners, and and we thought this would be a good good thing to explore because it's it's something that Pentecostals, especially the Assemblies of God, have had a very um, uh, a, a bit of a, a rocky history with. Uh, you know, it's a it's a history that is has shifted over time from, from being pre-World War II to being when it was predominantly pacifism within the Assemblies of God to, I think, uh, uh, today you're, you're sort of hard-pressed to find a pacifist in the AG. Uh, and so maybe, uh, Jay, you can, you can kind of talk to us about how we got there. Um, but first of all, uh, let's just start with a, a, a brief definition. What, what is pacifism? Uh, is there a single definition uh, in scholarly circles? Are there many out there? Um, and and what's your what's your take? Uh, I try to keep it simple uh, and uh, germane to what I study. Uh, it's basically being against war and for peace. Mm. Mm -hmm. um, saying no to violence as a viable option for the rule of God promoting the peaceable rule of God and refusing all forms of dominating other people, refusing to treat people as others, spreading good news, refusing to sp spread good news at the end of a sword, hmm. refusing American exceptionalism, 
refusing white nationalism, refusing manifest destiny, uh, sort of faith with first doing no harm, mm -hmm. listening, healing, including, thinking that love is really possible. Mm. And it's Christmas time, mm. and pacifists reflect on the angels that sang at the birth of Jesus. Mm. Peace on earth, goodwill to humans. Mm -hmm. um, so we'd be ridiculed today mm. <laughs> in most circles if we took those angels seriously. The messengers of God, what do they say? Mm. Um, and so it's taking all of that very seriously. Mm. That an ancient prophet led a small sect of people to tell another story that at its core was that Jesus of Nazareth was put to death. In some respects, for the different kind of religion he was promoting and the different view of society. And what followers of Jesus came to say was that Jesus is Lord, mm. not Caesar. Mm -hmm. And it's a very dangerous message. And it's also a prophetic message. And much of my Pentecostal history uh, told me that mm. such things were no longer possible. Mm. And I think of Pentecostals as people who think really unusual things are possible. Yeah, that's, that's, kind, of of our that's kind of our DNA, isn't it? Yeah. It is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, that's, recent that's Pentecostal historians hmm. tend to say that pacifism is impossible. Hmm. Uh, living consistently uh, as peacemakers is not possible. Uh, that we need that violence in hmm. there just in case. Hmm. Uh, a Mennonite historian puts it this way. If it happened then it's possible. Hmm. That's good. So my, like that. my work has become documenting that it happened. <laughs> yeah, I, I, think that's, I think that's really uh, an important part of the story and an, an important part of our history. I, I've, I was looking um, uh, just online a little bit at, at your book, uh, Pentecostal Holiness Statements on War and Peace, which is, is kind of a, a documentary source on, on uh, views of pacifism among Pentecostal and holiness uh, folks. And one of the, in the, the introduction to that book, uh, I thought it was really interesting. You tell the story of, of connecting with people. Uh, uh, sometimes pe pa even pastors in Pentecostal denominations who were absolutely shocked to discover that maybe their father or grandfather uh, was a pacifist um, or, or possibly a conscientious uh, objector. Um, can you tell us a little bit about some of those conversations uh, and, and about um, uh, how those came about and, and just some of the context? Because I, I do think that's, that really uh, is important for framing our discussion because I, I think that's the prevailing view of most Pentecostals is that uh, it is maybe except outside of scholarly circles is that that pacifism has not been a part of our history and yet uh, I think you've shown that it that it has 
Uh, let me give you a couple examples. Uh, one of the first um, Pentecostals I found uh, to be documented as a pacifist um, was from the Southern Midwest. Hmm. And he had an unusual name. Uh, it's slipping me right now. Sure. But, uh, anyway, I, uh, I contacted his relatives huh. on Ancestry.com and said, mm -hmm. uh, I'm interested in your, your relative who was a, a pacifist to World War I. And somebody by the same name wrote me back and said, I am he. Huh. <laughs> Turns out it wasn't. It was his son of the same name. Oh, wow. And uh, he was an AG pastor. Huh. He was a district superintendent for years. Really? And huh. uh, when World War II broke out, he ran down to the uh, recruiting office and joined up as a kid, 17 hmm. or 18 years old. Huh. And I said, well, your dad, I have his, his draft card for World War I. He was a conscientious objector. And the guy, I had a lovely conversation with him on email. Hmm. He uh, wrote back and said, uh, and he was very gentle. He was very kind because uh, he disagreed with me, but he was, he was uh, very generous to a fault. Hmm. And uh, he said, well, if I understand uh, what a pacifist or conscientious objector is, um, I don't think my dad was. Hmm. He was actually in World War I. Hmm. I said, well, I have his draft card, and it said I'm a conscientious objector. And uh, he turned out to be a cook. He got drafted. Huh. Okay. And he went non-combatant hmm. as a cook. Interesting. And this guy said to me, that really explains to me why my dad, who couldn't cook to save his life, <laughs> was a cook in the army. That's right. Then he sent me pictures of huh. the guy uh, in military uniform in his camp in front of his cook tent. Uh, hmm. So do you, do you find that um, when, when you look at these histories and you look at this shift that's taken place, what, what do you think is the source of that? I mean, obviously, uh, what the Bible teaches hasn't changed, uh, but, but something would seem to suggest that maybe the way we're reading the Bible has as, as Pentecostals. Uh, and, and so wh what do you think are the, the influences that are creating this shift? Is it Christian nationalism? Is it, uh, is it uh politics? Uh, what, what, what are the causes of this shift, do you think? Well, I, I would say those are the proximal causes, hmm. uh, but you have to go behind them. Hmm. And uh, I think our best help thus far has been Max Weber uh, hmm. and the sociology of sectarian groups, mm -hmm. their origin, and how they change into denominations. And my whole time, the whole time I was growing up, I was told the Assemblies of God is not a denomination. It's a right, fellowship. Right. Whatever that means. <laughs> uh -huh. Uh -huh. Uh, I would say one of the groups that put sectarianism on the map, the Church of God Anderson, Indiana, which really influenced all the Church of Gods. Hmm. That group always said, we're not a sect. <laughs> and then the next sentence or two would be about some sectarian practice. 
whereby <laughs> they proved they were the true faith and uh, everybody else was wrong. Right, you know? right. So hmm. sect, the very word has to do with dividing mm -hmm. and division. Mm -hmm. And really, the sect is the founding kind of document, hmm. the founding kind of DNA of new religious groups that are backward looking, hmm. that are um, that want to reproduce some kind of old time religion. They're revivalists. Mm -hmm. They want to revive the old faith. And so uh, what I have found uh, is that even H. Richard Niebuhr, uh, mm -hmm. in his book uh, on the origin of denominations in sectarian groups, what he suggested was that one of the features of sects is pacifism. Mm. Interesting. Uh, and it's from being outside mm. of society, from being countercultural. Mm -hmm. um, and he attributed it largely to social class, poverty, mm. uh, being outside of the, the structures of power, education, um, and uh, decision-making for the larger society. And I'm beginning to think that it's, it's a rather American phenomenon that's been exported to other parts of the world. Hmm. So um, to, to not be pacifist then? To be a sect. Oh, I see. Huh. And that the sect is the religious outworking of capitalism. That mm -hmm. capitalism, uh, based on the notion of freedom in the marketplace, mm -hmm. focuses on the new, the mm -hmm. innovative. Mm -hmm. And so in religion... Your goal is to show that you have something new. Mm -hmm. Better yet, if it's something really, really old that nobody's thought about for a while. Right, right. And, and so that's new. Yeah. Uh, and so each group wanted to say, we have found the gospel. We have found the core, that nugget of truth. And they, they promote their difference then. Mm. And that difference becomes their brand. Hmm. And it becomes the reason why you need to join that group. Hmm. And in, in very short order, they start maintaining boundaries around their group based on, have you got the sign or not? Are you in the group? Because mm -hmm. you've got the sign. And all of these are things that Max Weber described in the Protestant ethic. Yeah, yeah. Um, and one of the things that happens to a group very quickly is the leader dies. And you have to, pass on the leadership. And what started as gift leadership or charismatic leadership uh, very quickly turns into a more organized form or bureaucratic leadership. Uh, and it's a more rational and efficient kind of thing. And often what you find is we try to pass it on to our kids, but that just doesn't work. Mm -hmm. um, and if the kids succeed us, it's only because they became rational, efficient leaders or bureaucrats <laughs> for the okay. organization. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, I think it was William Menzies who said that the Pentecostals who chose conscientious objection were really just trying to get a ministerial exemption. 
I think he's wrong. In Interesting. That. Okay. But I think he's almost right. Okay. How so? The military, uh, since the medieval times, uh, the military has found that one thing you can do is treat ministers as a part of the military, generally by making them chaplains. Okay? And it's really good because they become your spokespersons for God. Uh, so basically what you say to them is, we're going to pay you to be a Christian, be a chaplain, mm -hmm. and we'll pay you to be a minister. And one of the biggest problems for uh, all kinds of little sectarian groups is, how do you fund this thing? Mm -hmm. And uh, it's really enticing when the government says, we'll pay you to do it. Right, right. Um, and we have other examples of that uh, in varieties of social work. Okay. Um, many early Pentecostals were a part of uh, founding orphanages. Mm -hmm. And often the county would give you a little kickback to take care of that kid. Mm -hmm. um, so it helped kind of self-fund. Right, right. Um, so anyway, yeah. So, so chaplaincy uh, became the normative response. And in exchange, you won't mess with the actual rest of the group mm -hmm. who goes to war. Mm. You'll bless them in the process. Okay. Um, and what the what the absolute pacifists actually said was, war in itself is a great evil, and most directly killing other people that you should be saving, that uh, you should be healing. Okay. So, so they found the goals of war, the methods of war, inappropriate. Uh, unfortunately. What happens when many of your group go to war as non-combatants, they find out that some of the stereotypes they have of soldiers are not quite right, okay? Some of them in their personal life are really nice guys. Yeah. Some of them, like you, don't drink or smoke, you know? Uh -huh. And some who drink and smoke, they would give their life to save yours. You know? Yeah, yeah. That's not all bad. Right. Uh, and, and you also find out you thought you were going to lose the Holy Spirit if you, if you were drafted and forced to go to war. Hmm. And you got in the trenches. Maybe you weren't shooting people, but you, you didn't want that side to win because uh, you knew what happens if that side wins. You're going to lose, and you're going to be on the losing side. So you start identifying with the winners and you're in the trenches. And what you realize is that, uh, you know, periodically when Sunday comes, the chaplain helps you have a worship service. It's really not all that different from your own worship service. Maybe they'll even encourage mm -hmm. some of you to worship like you want. Yeah. So, so you uh, didn't really lose. You didn't lose the Holy Spirit. You didn't lose fellowship. Right. right. So some so, of what you were told didn't happen. Mm -hmm. it, maybe it wasn't the great calamity you thought it was. Right, right. 
And so these sorts of things are an education. Also, um, Pentecostals were so evangelistic. Uh, they realized that one of the greatest places to do evangelism was in the military camps. Sure. And you could evangelize these soldiers who thought they were going to die tomorrow. And you could tell them, mm-hmm. well, even if you die, Jesus will save you. And maybe Jesus will save you from dying. Um, but even if you die, Jesus will save you. So it was a huge evangelistic field. And many, many soldiers became Pentecostals. Yeah, which, uh, and that's that's not entirely a bad thing, right? I mean, right. <laughs> so. right. <laughs> in so, fact, so we, when we're talking in, about. In fact, what you could say is you succeeded. Sure, sure. You won. <laughs> <laughs> so in the this whole I mean, we don't really have time to kind of unpack a biblical defense of of pacifism but in your conversations with people when when you talk to other believers and and even christian scholars who who object to pacifism on biblical grounds what's the main argument that you hear uh generally I find that Pentecostals who have moved over to the military side aren't very articulate in their defense of war Hmm. because they don't have to be. Hmm. Uh, They basically will tell you, kind of get used to it. Hmm. We're Christians and uh, we go to war. And the reason we go to war is because America is a great country and you got to defend it. Hmm. And America is a Christian nation. And what actually was happening in the mainline churches at the time of World War I was that they were adopting the notion that Christianity was becoming civilization. Hmm. And all the advances in science, knowledge, technology, those were going to further the Christian christian mission and Mm -hmm. we had to actually make an exception for the moment and go to war which was irrational Hmm. but it would be for the greater good in the long run Hmm. because it would promote this new and more educated way of thinking about reality in the world yeah. Okay. So let, let's kind of pause for a moment right there. And I think this is a good place to talk about kind of the main alternative to pacifism, which is goes back to Augustine, the, the whole just war theory, um, you know, which is basically the idea that that there are certain evils in the world that are so evil that they they justify uh people's going to war in order over in order to overcome those evils. And I, I think some people would make that argument, for example, regarding Hitler. What what is the pacifist response to just war theory? Is it that there's never anything uh that justifies war, that no amount of evil uh justifies war? Um or or what's what's the the pacifist take on that? Well it's it's varied. Um, I've been most helped by Jock Alul, hmm. mm-hmm. um, who's been dead for some time now, but uh, he, he presented an articulation of how we might think about 
being Christians in society. And essentially what he said was, contrary to most pacifists, you can't accomplish exactly the same thing with pacifism or nonviolence that you can with violence. Hmm. There is a certain effectiveness to violence in getting your way. And if you know the best solution, if you know the best answer to some social ill or some international social ill, um, sometimes the most efficient way is to go to war. Sometimes that becomes a kind of rationality in itself. Mm-hmm. You know, and well, I, I, would I was... That, that politically speaking, you might be correct. Hmm. Um, but you can never justify it as the rule of God. And that's where Christians go wrong. Uh-huh. Is in justifying going to war as the rule of God. And that's why a lot of Christians opt out. Um, and, and what it sometimes means is that then they're less effective as political leaders. Hmm. Maybe I couldn't be a president. Yeah, yeah. you know, I was, I, I was really interested. You referenced uh, in, in one of your books uh, a study, a scholarly study that showed, uh, I, I don't remember the title of the work, but, but there's quite a lot of evidence to suggest it, the exact opposite of what we're talking about, the effectiveness of pacifism. Uh, as a means of bringing about change. Um, yes. In fact, World War I was a colossal disaster, and it led to a number of things, including the outbreak of influenza around the world, hmm. uh, the destruction of civilization as we know it in Europe, and extremely pessimistic politics like Hitler that came out of it and World War II. So the instead of being the war to end all war, hmm. which was really the progressives ideal, if you think of the enlightenment ideals, mm-hmm. the best that science and technology had to offer in World War I was go to war and beat the enemy hmm. and be better at it. Hmm that actually led to the destruction of Europe and the negative politics and even the negative theologies that came out of it. So, sorry about that. <laughs> no, no, that's all right. So, uh... so, so I will make the case too that uh, a couple negative theologies came to predominate after World War I. Hmm. Premillennialism, which was largely a holiness movement, going cl- right back to um, D.L. Moody. Mm-hmm. D.L. Moody was a conscientious objector in World War, in uh, in the Civil War, mm-hmm. and uh, D.L. Moody kind of believed in outsider politics, and. Followers of the premillennialism after the Civil War invented a term called come-outer or (laughs) come-outerism. And it was was based on the Old Testament notion of coming out of Babylon. Don't become so compromised uh, that that you're of no 
good. Mm -hmm. um, and don't become Babylonian. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And so um, the, the come-outers in the late 19th century all believed that you had to start your own political parties and you had to start your own denominations. Mm -hmm. Right, right. <laughs> the old systems were all failed. Yeah. And God was going to start a new system. And these, the, these are the origin of these social movements. Mm -hmm. um, the old is no good, come out. Start something new. And so now we're kind of back that to this sectarianism that you were talking about exactly. in the beginning. Yeah. Exactly. And that, that's one solution. Yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, that was followed. And, hmm. and uh, Mennonites perfected it, right? Hmm. Um, you could say that Quakers actually became the society. Hmm. And I've, I've often said that Quakers were Calvinists with pacifism. Hmm. Okay, interesting. And uh, I, I've told that to a Quaker historian, and he agreed with me. Huh. Their okay. idea wasn't to be separate from society and better. Their idea was to take over society. Uh-huh. And the Calvinist view is that God has planted us in this world to be vice regents, to rule. Right. That's a pretty pervasive thought in Calvinism, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I would say that Methodism... The largest contributor to pacifism is Methodism. Hmm. And it's, hmm. it's not first-generation Methodism, but the logic of Methodism is pacifism. Oh, interesting. Uh-huh. Interesting. Yeah. And, well, this, um, is, this has been... The dark response became Calvinism in fundamentalism. The dark response in liberalism became neo-orthodoxy. Hmm. Both of those were a reaction to World War One. Okay, and hmm. and so it was a it was a kind of reaction to post millennialism, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it was a, a negative view on society. Things will get worse and worse, right? And only the second coming hmm. will make that better. Mm -hmm. Hey Jay, thank you so much. This has been really fascinating, and we. There's so much to cover on this topic. Uh, we might have to do a part two on this. Uh, okay. <laughs> if, if you're if you're up for it. Um, I'm up I, for it. Yeah. Because I feel like we've just nicked the surface on on this topic. Um, yeah. I, I feel like we could easily spend another hour talking about this. Um, but I, I think this is a really fascinating topic and something that I think uh, as Pentecostals, we should wrestle with maybe a little bit more deeply than most of us do uh, in contemporary circles. It's not a, it's not, uh, a topic that often comes up. Uh, it's not uh, nonviolence. It's not something you often hear preached on in Pentecostal circles, and, and yet it is a rich part of our, our history. Uh, and so thank you for all of your work uh, and, and scholarship in this area. And, and thanks for joining us today on, on the podcast. It's been a joy. All right. Thanks so much, Jay. God bless. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. So that was good stuff. A lot to digest there. Uh, uh, obviously, someone who studied this topic uh, far more than I have. Uh, too, man. Um, Learn a and, lot. And, uh, you know, I... I, I I'm glad that we're able to bring people onto this show who have, uh, who represent a, a broad spectrum of perspectives. And so if the perspective you heard today wasn't your preferred perspective, uh, don't be threatened by that. Uh, it's, uh, it's good to be exposed to difference and diversity. 
That's great. We uh, wish you guys all a wonderful new year. Thank you for joining us today on Sorry Not Sorry. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you are listening. And if you have questions or topics you want featured on the show, please email us at podcastsorrynotsorry at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. 